Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast. Here on CBS Sports, that's Tom Fernelli, that's Bud Elliott, that's Danny Cannell, I'm Chip Patterson, coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover3, and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand, thanks for hanging out, smash that subscribe. Subscription numbers going up. When we hit 50, we got something special for you. Hit that like on the video as well for everybody hanging out, and come and join us in the chat, aka the cover3 tailgate. Lots to get to here on a Monday. Um, how do you take on four other human beings by yourself and your hat is not lost? Yeah, we can get into that. We've got more updates from Tennessee v. the NCAA, a proposal for moving the early signing period. But we begin with just like an absolute travesty for the National Football League. I mean, what is the NFL going to do? How are they going to keep their coaches when these coaches keep running off to college football? Because news breaks over the weekend that Eric Bieniemy, longtime offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, he was with uh, the Washington uh, Commanders, and he is going to be Deshaun Foster's offensive coordinator at UCLA. That's right, the former Colorado great. And uh, one time UCLA head coach, he was a running backs coach there previously, he will be the associate head coach and offensive coordinator for UCLA. This is... A splash hire. Eric Bieniemy has been viewed as a potential NFL head coaching candidate, a, an offensive mind that's kind of been on the cutting edge of things. Danny, in, in your time being able to, to cover, obviously, the NFL as well as college football, um, you know, your thoughts on getting to see Bieniemy come to UCLA and sort of what that means for Deshaun Foster and the Bruins? So, one, to put on your first point, I think Roger Goodell is probably scrambling right now, reviewing the rules of free agency to make sure that they don't have an epidemic of coaches leaving the game. As I make that joke, I do realize I was one of the people at the beginning of this cycle wondering, does college football have a problem? But I gave up on trying to decipher that trend a few weeks ago because this isn't the only NFL to college coach we've seen. So I do think uh, that is absolutely a part of the conversation. Uh, that does have to be mentioned. But for Eric Bieniemy coming back, I think there's two things I, I think I think you have to consider, and I think both of them are valid. And I'll get to whatever you want on what he does scheme-wise because I think there is more commonality 
a crossover between college and NFL in offensive schemes than there's ever been. They're very much used to be a, from the NFL's perspective, we're better than that. We don't do that. We'll never take concepts from college football. And it has completely flipped where they are now realizing there is a treasure trove of offensive philosophies, schemes, plays, whatever you want to look at. They're saying, oh, you guys have been doing this and we can do this. And so you're seeing that influx into the NFL um, in masses, which I do think is probably why we're seeing some of this coach you know, carryover, why we're seeing more than ever, why we're seeing coaches from NFL go to college and college go to the NFL because it's not that big of a jump scheme-wise. But for Foster and his staff, I think, one, it brings credibility. You're talking about a coach who not many people know. Now you bring in the coach who helped Patrick Mahomes achieve greatness and can flash those Super Bowl rings and recruiting meetings and tell you about working with the best. I think this 100% brings some credibility for recruiting to make them a more attractive destination for quarterbacks and offensive players. And then, two, the other aspect of this, and I don't think this is that crazy, I think this is one step closer to Eric Bieniemy becoming the next head coach at Colorado. Whenever that may be, I do think this brings him back on the stage where he's in college. It's a smoother transition. He'll get familiarity with the NIL landscape, which he hasn't been able to have, and the transfer portal, the rules. I do think that is very much one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons Eric Bieniemy is back in college. The reason Eric Bieniemy is back in college is because there were eight coaching changes at the NFL level, including the school, the team he was at, where he lost his job as offensive coordinator, and none of the new eight head coaches wanted him as their offensive coordinator. That's the reason he's back in college. It's it's not to set up. I mean, maybe he'll end up with the Colorado job, but I would guess that if he gets offered an NFL OC job, he'll take that before he takes the Colorado head coaching job. Um, I it was surprising because. The enemy's name has been out there a lot. Like he had been, his, he's been mentioned in the Colorado job numerous times when it's been open the last few years. But like this was somebody who was seen, you know, when he was the offensive coordinator at the Chiefs with Mahomes and they're winning Super Bowls, which they still are, by the way. Um, he was seen as, you know, like the up and coming whatever OC, and everybody's like, wow, no, nobody's hiring this guy for head coach. Nobody's hiring this guy for head coach. Now they're not hiring for offensive coordinator. Maybe the narrative didn't really match the reality of the situation. I don't know. I'm just, it's, if I'm UCLA, like, okay, I mean, it's not that he's a bad offensive coach. I don't think he's a bad offensive coach at all. It's just, I think that the shine has come off of the narrative around Eric Bieniemy and the fact that he has gone from being Andy Reid's, you know, likely successor, the head coach in waiting in Kansas City, if Andy Reid ever decides to retire, to now being the offensive coordinator at UCLA kind of says everything you need to know. If if the NFL teams know something that we don't, I, I think it's probably you know fair to defer to them. Um, and my guess is that, is that they do. Maybe they don't think he's as good of a coach as, as a lot of the NFL you know, media either you know, does or, or perhaps did is the better word there. Um, really, in the NFL, we have a major problem. Is that not everybody gets to coach Patrick Mahomes? And it's really it's, – it's a shame. I think it's an epidemic, right? There's only one Patrick Mahomes – and when you don't have Patrick Mahomes anymore, you do risk getting exposed. Still, like this is a good hire for UCLA, in my opinion, because even though we could sit here and say he's probably not going to get an, another NFL offensive coordinator job, like he's not in super high demand in the NFL on the recruiting trail, he can still pitch. Hey, man, like Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, I worked with all those dudes. I was the OC for some Super Bowl teams. So, yeah, I I think there's a 
like he, both things can be true. He's not in super high demand anymore in the NFL. It's still a pretty damn good hire for UCLA, given you know kind of the not restrictions, but sort of just like difficult things they have to work under right now at UCLA for Deshaun Foster. Um, and yeah, like we see guys that I guess the only mistake that that he made here was not getting out before he lost his job, right? So mm-hmm. you know, like, like we saw a lot of these college guys who were probably going to get fired. They they you know, jump out a year early. It's it's just smart to not have was fired on your resume. I think it's a great opportunity for him because you know how he's spinning this story, right? This is this is the quote um, he said, yeah. I, yeah, via text message to uh, uh, CBS Sports NFL insider Justina Anderson and NFL writer uh, Garrett Podell. And I get, I hope I get that right. I'll shout you out. Otherwise, if not, um, I chose this is this is again a quote uh, offered via text message from Eric Bieniemy to CBS Sports. I chose to fly under the radar this hiring cycle, and my experience generated a lot of interest from a number of NFL teams prior to coming to this decision. So, his story is. Man, I, I'm I'm just working on me. You know, I'm just gonna lay low. I'm gonna work on me. This is a this is a good opportunity for me, and I agree, it's a great opportunity for him because this is a chance for you to be able to get um, a a new opportunity to rebuild that brand. And I was it it blew my mind not blew my mind, but you jumped right to the place where Jeremy from the tailgate says the enemy is just bidding his time at UCLA until Dion flakes out at Colorado and he can go back to Boulder. Now, you know, whether he would be really in the mix for that job, you know, we'd see uh, Bud Elliott has, you know, you've pointed out here on the podcast, look at Colorado's recruiting practices. What, what says that the operation right now is putting in the plan to be able to have class over class over class to, to still be able to build in an upward momentum with a three to four year plan. The recruiting practices do not indicate three to four year plan at this time. Is that, is that fair, bud? Yeah. I mean, like, like if Eric, Bien-Ami, if Deanna were to leave Colorado and Eric Bienemy gets presented with that Colorado job next year, do you take that? Because the way Colorado is recruiting, that, that thing is going to be a smoking crater when you get there. Because of the lack of young talent, and I guess now with unlimited transfer portal, every every team can be remade every single offseason. So, you know, whatever in theory, but th- there is sort of a, a, a you know, gravitas to Dion that Eric Bieniemy does not possess in terms of getting all these. Regardless of how good they are, it's still hard to get seventy transfers to come say yes in one offseason and put together a team. So, yeah, like that job may not be real attractive if uh, if Dion bounces after this year. Like I think a lot of us. Uh, think could be an option he was a former assistant for the buffs as well tom sorry you want to get in here no i was just there's just arguing with somebody in the chat um <laughs> I, last thing I, w- I want to say on this is we never would say oh like wh- why wouldn't you stay in college instead of going to the nfl to a player right in terms of it, it's a better opportunity it, it, it's a better league you make a lot more money that's really going to be true for college coaches because college coaches only make what they make because the players, all the schools colluded via the NCAA to not pay the stars of the game who are actually the players, not the coaches. All right, I, I had a pretty good stat the other day. There's like 242 NFL players who make 10 plus million, and there's like 10 NFL coaches who, who make that much. Like it, it won't happen immediately, but all these college guys, in terms of 
they're not going to be like an immediate pay cut, I think, in most situations. But there will be a serious, like, like relative to the inflation rate of, co- of the college coaching salaries since 1984 Oklahoma case, like since they got those TV rights and it really blew up the game. These college coaches are not going to be getting rich in the way they once were compared to you know what the guys that came 10 years ago did because the, mm-hmm. the stars of the game are the players. So I think in three, four years, we're not going to have any question about this. Of course you go to the NFL. NFL coaches are going to make a hell of a lot more money than college coaches will in about five years. So for the Eric B. Enemy side of this, uh, Bud, when we look at UCLA's roster, what do you think the chances are for him to be able to make a splash, for him to be able to turn this around? I I think that this is a good opportunity for Eric B. Enemy to change, flip the narrative on this and to do it at a place like UCLA. It's an opportunity. What are the chances are he succeeds? I, I guess it depends on on what we would define success, right? UCLA, their fan, you know, their fan duel win total right now is five and a half. Five and a half, yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, they're sort of coin flippy to make a bowl game in their first year in the Big Ten. Uh, I think if you're Deshaun Foster, your guy who obviously played in the NFL, uh, UCLA's passing game and passing concepts when they weren't off play action last year were, were kind of limited. I think part of that's quarterback, and part of that is, you know, Chip wanting to focus more on some of the run game stuff. Uh, maybe they're they're going to try to open it up with a little more you know, diverse passing game. Yeah, they're trying to be a little more pro style, whatever that means these days. Yeah, what even is I think pro style style just means he was coached in the NFL. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty much what it means these days. Yeah, because there's there's not really much of a difference uh, one way or the other. Mm. By the time the the difference is, and this could be a problem for the hire. The difference is NFL offenses are a lot more complicated and intricate because they have a lot more time to practice it, whereas. With a college offense, when you've got a limited amount of practice hours and you can only run so many plays and you have young quarterbacks who aren't NFL quarterbacks all the time, you kind of got to keep things simple, like from the route concepts and all the options and all that stuff that a player can take and the blocking schemes and yada, yada, yada. Like The NFL is much more complicated and intricate. So it's probably going to be a bit of an adjustment for Biennemi to have to come to the college level and kind of change what he does. There is a history of guys going from the NFL to college and really struggling to simplify. I think Bill mm-hmm. Callahan is probably the most notable, right? When when he took the Nebraska job after being the, he was what OC of the Raiders. Yes, I with think, Gruden. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's uh, and that was what I think Wink Martindale uh, could face an issue too. I mm-hmm. don't think anybody understands how different. Like that for me was the biggest jump going from Florida State to the NFL. It was the athleticism, the speed, all that. Like, it's a jump, but for a quarterback especially, but I think it's every position, the amount of time you have to spend studying the concepts, your assignments, the adjustments, the opponent. Like, I I, I didn't have to study defense that much in college because nobody ran that much different stuff. All of a sudden, the NFL, they've got, you know, multiple, multiple looks of just cover three alone, multiple adjustments of cover two. And like, all I really studied in college was cover three, cover two, some, you know, cover center four, open, center close. Like, <laughs> yeah, that was it. But then you get to the NFL, all of a sudden they're doing something different on every play. And the same time, your playbook is 10 X, you know, the size that it was too. So that, that to me is something, but you have all day, like you're a big boy. You're supposed to, that's your job. You're supposed to study and you have that time. Where in college, at least where we stand now, you are supposed to go to class. There is supposed to be a 20, 20 hour work limit rule. Like all those things we can laugh, but there are, there is only yeah. so much time in a day. You know, everybody goes over it, but it's still not anywhere near what they would need to be, you know, you still studying. Need time to squeeze in those online, you know, sports management courses. Yeah, I was going to say, go, go to class, 
attend a class because like you can go to class. I don't know how many athletes are actually going well, to physical classes anymore. I think a lot of these schools just drop everybody in online classes. Well, the good news is uh, Eric Bieniemy and UCLA, they do have the offensive MVP of the Starco Brands LA Bowl ready to go. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I say that jokingly, but Ethan Garbers at his best when healthy, and again, at his best when healthy, I'm throwing two qualifiers on there, but that's a quarterback that I think you can, um, you can probably put something, you can probably put something challenging on his plate yeah. and see if he's going to be able to go get it. So, uh, at least you're not dealing with a situation where there's zero experience and you're going to be bringing in Eric B enemy. And he's just looking at a bunch of 19 year olds with no starts to their name. This is a player who has experience, who has played in competitive games at the power conference level. Uh, I think Ethan Garbers is the QB one for the Bruins. And I think that he is a, a QB one that can be very serviceable for Eric B enemy's first offense as the Bruins offensive coordinator. I'd also bet they end up with much better spacing on their routes than they did under Chip. Man, I tell you what, you can tell. Hey, you can tell Tom's been grinding tape. Mm -hmm. Nothing, not, nothing has has changed his life, like, like that that tape. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, I heard I, it was it was told to me it was the best gift he'd ever received. So <laughs> look at how it's changed. We got, by the way, all that tape grinding is going to help us out. We got a lot of great NFL draft coverage here on the cover three podcast combine coming up a little bit later. We'll do combine takeaways with the golden dumbbells at the beginning of next week. Um, any before and after the draft, we'll have you covered here with the cover three podcast as well. Coming up on the other side. We've talked a lot about how to change the calendar for the month of December. So it's not everything happening all at once. Southeastern Conference has a proposal that involves moving early signing day. We'll get into the pros, the cons, what it might mean, and more next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, uh, our friend Ian joined the tailgate about 30 minutes before the show started. He said, it's my birthday today. No question from me. Just want to say you guys are the gift that keeps giving year-round. Love the podcast. Ian, happy birthday. Thanks for coming to the tailgate. So there have been a lot of uh, you know big ideas, with, but not a lot of concrete proposals in terms of ways uh, to change what has become an incredibly hectic December calendar. But... Uh, late last week, we got a, a proposal. You know, Greg Sankey, uh, representing the Southeastern Conference, is lobbying for an early signing day and then a recruiting dead period through the month of December, uh, I believe, as it pertains to 
just high school recruiting. Uh, the quote from uh, Yahoo Sports, Greg Sankey says, putting signing day in the middle of December with playoff games no longer works. Move it to early December, the Wednesday before the conference championship games. And he's right because on, Jan- on December 20th, that will be the day of the first college football playoff first round games. And I believe this past year, December 20th, was the early signing day. So as you're trying, how would you be trying to prepare for, especially the elite, elite programs? You'd be going the weekend to a first round game and then in the middle of that week trying to lock down a majority of the highest rated players in your high school recruiting class. Something changing surely makes sense. Um, Tom, what's your, do, do you think that this, this type of proposal is something that would work or do you have any other counters or questions about it? My only question on it is I, I have no idea what really will change out of it. I mean, yes, it's, it makes it earlier. It does a conference championship week. And for most schools, that's not really a problem because they're not playing in their conference championship games. And also who the hell knows how much longer we're going to have conference championship games, the way things are going. My question more is, and this is what I've kind of always wondered. Are we just heading to a spot where we don't really have a signing day at all? Like, are we just going to come to a point where it's like, if the kids want to sign on November 12th, let them sign on November 12th. If they want to sign on August 3rd, let them sign on August 3rd. It's the coach, you know, the school has to honor it. The player has to honor it. So there's some interesting thoughts here. I I, I totally see where you're going with this, but I do. there are certain like rights that are going to be bargained away when we get to collective bargaining, which will probably happen sooner rather than later. Uh, but like, typically the youngest folks get screwed in like the unions eat their young. Right. So I don't think that like the current college players eventually are going to be looking out for the rights of high school signees, you know, just as like the NFL doesn't really care about what happens to the rookies. Cause guess what? Everybody voting on the stuff in the NFL, they ain't rookies anymore. So it's just sort of a, a, a thing that happens. Schedule-wise, this does make more sense to me than putting it in mid-December, especially with the new you know, playoff calendar. Now, there's really not a great time to have it. And I think to Tom's point, it is arguable that signing it doesn't matter anymore at all in terms of procedurally because you have unlimited transfers. So you could sign, enroll, and then still practice somewhere else for the spring semester. Uh but there are still certain things that signing a prospect does kind of lock them into, right? At least for a short period of time. And I think teams are going to want to try to exert as much control of this as possible. Remember, the whole idea of early signing day, the, the PR pitch was, oh, we want these families to be able to enjoy Christmas without t- having to take phone calls from college coaches and they're being hounded. That was largely bullshit. What really was happening is that coaches did not want to, quote unquote, babysit their commitments, meaning like they didn't want to continue to recruit and work on their sales and maintain those relationships. Just like if you're a salesperson maintaining the account, you know, from let's say Thanksgiving to the first Wednesday in February, if you already had a kid who was pretty locked up, or if you could pressure him into just signing and getting it over and done with. So it really early signing day reduced the workload on coaches a lot, you know? So how will they kind of transfer that workload and make sure they try to reduce their workload even more? Moving it up makes a little bit more sense there, and it allows them to maintain you know, some level of control over the process. Uh, I've long argued for, let's put it in August. I know what the high school, co- high school coaches will say, hey, my best players won't play because they're already signed. And then you can have a couple like certified pre-accreed upon outs, okay? 
hey, if the head coach, the coordinator on your side of the ball, your position coach, or maybe some one other you designate like an area recruiter, if they leave, then you get a free opt-out of your letter of intent. Otherwise, no, use your transfer. But I don't know. Uh, that just seems like too much sense, and the sport doesn't always operate with a lot of sense. I think the first reaction I had to this was, remember Nick Saban said he wants to still be involved in the game and still have a voice? I think this all probably comes directly from Saban to Sankey, like advising him on what to do uh, as somebody who would have been playing in a lot of those playoff games. Um, you know, I think he probably had some input on this and probably a lot of coaches did, you know, voicing their concern to Sankey. How can we make the calendar better? Let's try to move it up. I like Tom's idea. I don't know how realistic it is, but why have restrictions on it at any time? Why not just let a player commit when they want to, but have it binding? You know, as opposed to, hey, I received 8,000 offers over the summer. Like, what about, hey, I agreed to this one and this is where I'm going, but then it actually has to stick from both sides. Mm. I liked the early, I liked the August one just because it seems that during the year when we're doing our breakdown, even into the early signing period, the, the news is a lot of, the news happens in, in August. The news happens in June. The news happens uh, leading into your final year. And there, there does probably need to be some development, you know, for coaches want that. Maybe players want that as well. But the getting it off of December 20th or, you know, whatever would be December 20th, that late December, feels like it absolutely has to happen. But I don't think you can have them. Don't you have to babysit more? Don't you have to tamper more if kids can sign anywhere and then they can transfer right away? Would you have a situation where a kid signs because he can sign at any time, but then automatically there's like a transfer that's built into the expectation of an early enrollment? It does seem like a signing anytime would be a little bit too chaotic to be able to be sustainable. Could be. Look, if we if we're gonna care to pretend about and, and like looking out for them, what the stories that I, I already know you, you would see popping up is, hey, this school found this kid. Nobody had really seen him yet. He didn't have a huddle tape. They realize he looks like a Marius Mims. <laughs> you know, did and like, oh my god, hey, here's ten thousand sign with us, binding in LI for, uh, you know, for three years or or you know whatever it would happen in the future. And you're like, hold on, man, like. Some of these kids are are they're going to make like the Ozzy Albies deal look good, you know, to, to where they're 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 signing stuff so early. It's just like that's probably probably a really really bad deal for you uh, to do, and they're not having like the full amount of information. So I I would be fine with people signing any time in the fall and locking themselves in if they wanted to. I think I would be against signing, you know, before like like before August, right? I don't, I don't want to see you know, February signing where you're signing more As than a junior. Year out. Yeah. Right. Because then I think you're, you're dealing with, uh, with incomplete information. If you, if you want to see a Marius Mims, knock a safety five yards onto his ass, check out my Twitter feed. Yeah. He's a freak. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just talk about a nightmare scenario. You're safety. You're coming up to make a play. And then here comes a Marius Mims running full speed at you. It's like, ah, oh, crap. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I laugh so hard because you, you get these emails from these well-intentioned mom and dads. Like, hey, check out my 12-year-old. I'm like, look, man, I'd rather just see a picture of you and your wife to see how tall y'all are. And like it, all this training and stuff is great. And congrats on playing travel ball and all this other stuff. But like, do you win the puberty lottery 
or do you not? Because that's going to be about 95% of this. After that, the skills will matter. But if you the skills don't matter a damn if you don't. Mm. Um, we, of course, will be keeping our eyes on that as well as any other adjustments to the calendar before what is going to be a, a very a dizzying 2024 season uh, in this new world after conference realignment and college football playoff expansion. All right. Time to check in with some billable hours, okay? We might need a little bit more from you, bud, but Bud Elliott, Esquire, we got to get you checking in here. So, Tennessee was able to get the injunction in its case against the NCAA. Uh, we had a shout-out uh, from before the show started from the Cover 3 tailgate. You guys going to talk about the dagger to the heart of the NCAA on Friday. Do it for producer Jordan. Mm-hmm. Shout-out to Jordan. Um, bud, what's, uh, what's the big takeaway from the latest development in this legal battle? Yeah, uh, so the takeaway is that the principles that we saw in Alston, uh, in which the NCAA lost nine to nothing to the Supreme Court, which that's that's a toughie there. Uh, these NIL rules that the NCAA is putting down violate antitrust. They are anti-competitive. They are colluding to depress market values of players, and the idea that you cannot be negotiating or enter into an agreement with somebody, a collective, or heck, even at this point, perhaps a school before enrolling, uh, that serves to limit the information available to the player and thus keeps their value down. And that's not allowed. So you could do that if you had collective bargaining and if the players all got together, organized and agreed to let you restrict them in that way. But because, and this is what we always roll back to, right? Are you putting employer type restrictions on people who in the same federal courts, your filings say very stridently are not employees? That's just not going to work. That's kind of the one test you can keep rolling this. Are you trying to restrict people like you, like, like they're your employees? Yes. Do you also say they're not employees? Yes. All right. Pick one or the other. You can't have both. And that's what the court said. I think this was pretty foreseeable. We knew they probably would not get the temporary restraining order, the, like the emergency one, because there really was no like true you know, urgency to this emergency. And it was only a monetary thing. It wasn't like somebody's life was in danger or something like that. So anyway, uh, we'll see if the NCAA is going to appeal this. I haven't seen announced they would, but I assume that they always will because the NCAA kind of acts like like uh, like local community governments. You ever notice this? Like any sort of like elected like local government, they rarely settle stuff. And then instead, like you'll see these like um, you know uh, county commissioner type things. Like oh well, you know, a they, they can sometimes they can hide behind the sovereign stuff, but usually it's just like oh jury system. Crazy, unpredictable juries, right? It's like, no, you guys should have settled this, but it looks bad to your voters that you decided to fight this. So, so yeah. NCAA is just like, oh, we're just yeah, like, oh, play these crazy courts. Oh, weird. The NCAA is your local water commissioner. Yeah, dude, exactly. Actually, um, I've got a, a take that a listener floated to us. He said the NCAA is actually, um, and this is perfect. He said it's, it's Ticketmaster. He said, think about it. All the artists... Like the artists loved, like they, they say they hate Ticketmaster, but they love Ticketmaster because all the people complain to ticket, uh, complain about Ticketmaster instead of complaining about the artist. So it's basically a shield for all the stuff the artists really want to do. They just have Ticketmaster do it. Like the NCAA is the exact same thing. The other day we banned pre-decorating of hotel rooms in the sport. People are like, wow, the NCAA, why would they do this? It's like, guys, all the schools wanted this. They're operating as a business. Do you know how you have to pre-decorate a hotel room? You got to buy the night before's hotel room. So think about all the hotel room savings that you're that you're saving now. And so for some of these schools, like if you're in a major city, they're in pretty nice hotels. Like 
SMU uses the W in Dallas. What do you think they pay for those? Like even a discounted rate is probably 400 bucks. So think about all these hotel rooms they're saving if they don't have to you know, get in early morning by, because they had to buy the night before. So instead of the school saying, hey, we don't want to do this, they all pass the rule via the NCAA. So now it's an NCAA rule, even though it's really just a cost-cutting measure by the schools. I love the same thing analogy. with the photo shoots. Love that analogy. Like, oh, I can't believe Ticketmaster's charging you fifteen dollars to buy tickets to my show. Anyway, two hundred and fifty for general admission. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Charlie Baker was asking for congressional help. What? And he's out there claiming that ninety-five percent of schools would, you know, go bankrupt. It would, you know, have to kill a lot of sports that are out there. What's the what's the so you could have Congress over? I'm asking. For, I have no idea to have them overrule the courts. No, they they're asking for an antitrust exemption because all of this stuff that are getting rung up on this, you know, Alston, the Johnson case, the House case, uh, which stay tuned to the channel. We actually have some uh, some cool stuff coming on that. Th those are all like because the NCAA is running afoul of antitrust. They're colluding all the schools via the NCAA because the, the NCAA is made up of its member schools to keep prices down, to price fix, or in this case, to just not pay their employees at all. Uh, if you read the Supreme Court decision, he's like, I believe this was... Um, it was Kavanaugh. It was Kavanaugh. Them. He yeah. said like, hey, guys, the labor being unpaid cannot be a central selling point of why your product is good. That, that, that business model is flatly illegal, as he called it. And he said just the same thing as... You can't like say, "Hey, people love our restaurant because we don't play, we don't pay our servers anything." Like that, that's just not that's not allowed. Um, so, what are examples? And I'm sorry to like put anybody on the spot here in my notes, but what is an example of antitrust exemption being granted? Like, what where is a place where that professional happens? sports leagues? Yeah, okay. professional sports leagues. Right. So the NCAA wants what the pro sports leagues get, but they don't want them to be pros. And what and so that means that they're allowed to have a salary cap that mm -hmm. al and allows them to, you know, build in a draft and, and all these other things that you know would not pass a competitive a competitive test. I get an antitrust test, but because they've got these professional sports leagues have this antitrust exemption from Congress, that therefore they're allowed to set it all up through collective bargaining. Is that the way that this works? Yes. Yes. Also, Amazon, Apple, all these other companies. They don't have it, but they have it. Uh, Informal. Is Informally. There, <laughs> yeah. I've heard a few coaches. I mean, I talked to Mike Loxley at the Super Bowl last year, and he was one of the first one that said, let's have a salary cap. Let's put $30 million. He, he just gave Randop. He didn't give much thought to it. He's like, let's put you know $30 million in, and we'll say that's for the players. I haven't heard a coach yet. Do you think there's any chance we could have a draft? In college, if it does become professional and there are employees yes. and there is a union, because that to me would be the most insane shakeup in the history of the sport. If you could have a five star from IMG or wherever that cannot go to Alabama, Ohio State, Florida State, whatever school, because they get drafted by them. Absolutely. God, I hope not. No, look, think about it. It happens you, in baseball all the time. You, yeah, you at least they're young. Unions eat their young. If the schools could get away with not having to induce the young talent to come. Now, it's a weird situation because you're time limited to four years, at least currently, although I'm not really sure how long that's going to hold. Uh, but if the, if the schools could cut costs by not having 
to you know basically pay for play induce the players to come to their school if they didn't have to compete for talent and the current players in the collective bargaining were like yeah we're already on rosters screw these recruits more money for us which is entirely foreseeable then yeah they could do a college draft the problem is like you you wouldn't have to play for one of those two leagues you see what i'm saying assuming florida state and clemson and miami go to the big 10 and, and like we have a consolidation here and notre dame has some sort of like scheduling agreement you'd have to fold them into the draft. But assuming we get to like that next level where it's like 50 teams or so, you always have the option of playing for some other team if you want to, if they did do collective bargaining and you got the antitrust and all that kind of stuff. If there's a draft in place now, does Alabama go into a rebuild after Saban retires? <laughs> Tanking. <laughs> yeah. Saban, it's like, yeah, we're just going to go. We got it. We've got to overhaul this roster. Hey, get some, some schools have already embraced future. it. They just don't know it yet. They'd be perfectly <laughs> set up. <laughs> I, I, if there is a draft, I do not want it to be true. Uh, worst teams get first pick. I would want to have some other kind of incentivization there, but I would love to see what Barton would do with the first pick. Think about it. <laughs> yeah. Bandy, yeah. Would, Bandy would, would have like the, remember the Washington nationals that they, they got Bryce Harper and they got Strasburg like back to back years. Like Vandy would probably go first in the SEC draft for multiple years in a row. I'd love to see that. Like that'd be cool. Barton and I mean, could hashtag. you? I mean, all of this. I mean, it's kind of wild, but I don't think it's that out of the realm of possibility. Again, if this is all collectively bargained and we get to this place, could you trade away a player who maybe like his lifelong dream? Oh, I got to be a member of the Crimson Tide, or I always wanted to be a Seminole, and you come there after two years, but the. But they're like, nah, he ain't cutting it. Let's trade him away for a future, you know. Enjoy Ames. If if everybody is employees of the same conference. Right. Then, then yeah, they could. Probably could. Boo! <laughs> I know. But everybody wants, everybody wants, like, the employees and let's get them paid, which I am on board now with. I wasn't a long time ago, but I think it is one of those, be careful what you wish for. That would – I. I that this is where we'd have to go through like there was a big step to get to guaranteed scholarships remember like there was a point where it was just like each year you know you could get cut loose um now it's a little bit with guaranteed scholarships it's a little bit more like run off or not run off but we're going to suggest but that think you how choose. far we've come in a short amount of time I, we are moving fast I think that it, under an employment model I think one year renewable contracts I think would be able like I would almost rather have more free agency than allow schools to trade players that's so brutal I, I mean, think one year renewables is pretty bad for the sport the, 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 the thing that I worry about the sport like I don't players getting paid I think largely this people say I won't watch if they get paid is just pure bluster like we, we've seen the opposite I agree the inability to develop like year over year attachment to some of your players on your roster is the real negative that I see which would, would have been avoidable if you had just bargained with the athletes 10 years ago. The transfer portal would have never come about in the same fashion because the NCAA strike, like losing those cases is very foreseeable because it's just clearly non-competes on non-employees. They're trying to trying to run that trick again. The court's like, oh, this again? No. Also, no again. So uh, I think you want to be able to have guys under contract for all four years or for three years or whatever it is. I, I think that's key. I also think that the eligibility thing will eventually go away unless it's collectively bargained otherwise. Like, I mean, does the NFL want Talia? Do they want Dylan Gabriel? No. 
skills-wise, those guys aren't NFL-level players, at least not good ones. But in college, I mean, Talia could probably make pretty good money if he had a year six. Gabriel could play another four years at Oregon, make probably, what, $5 million combined? That's, I mean, think about it. Hold on. So we're just saying like quarterbacks just end up playing until they're like 27 or 28. Some of these guys who don't have legitimate NFL skills but are really good in college, there is a market for that. That's I think that's the argument. It's it's you get a you get a quarterback with a weak arm who can't really make the NFL throws. You say, hey, college is a different game than the NFL. The hash marks make it so that I can earn a living in this league, but my skills don't fit this other league. I have a college skill set. Why can't I make a living using my college skill set? So we're literally just turning it into a minor league where you've got like Kevin Costner in Bull Durham just playing until he's 40, getting the record done. It's always been a minor league. It's just, yes, exactly. It's it's always been a time-limited minor league. <sighs> hey, listen, we've got, uh, we've got a couple of questions in the big old bag of mail that are very much tied to this. So I'm going to grab those and we're going to hit those and a few other topics on the other side. So coming up on the other side, yes, do we foresee the possibility of the eligibility rules changing and sports betting continuing to grow across the country. How do we see it influencing college football over the next 20 to 30 years? We'll get into that and more next. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Uh, before we get into that, Bud, what's a what, what you got on Cal? On oh yeah, so I listened the other day when my internet got cut. Um, literally, like like some yard work got cut, <laughs> not, not not cut off. I, I usually pay the bill. Uh, you guys did the like pick one quarterback, one running back, and uh, and one receiver. Yes, mm-hmm. guys, Cal's a really good one for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we missed that one. Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn, Deshaun Jackson. I know. And like, like all, all within our like general, like we've, we've been very much like into college football here. Like that hits modern era. That was a, that was a one, two, three that, that, that we definitely came back with that I recognize. That's a, so that's a, that's a strong top three right there. Yeah. But you got to deal with Aaron talking about crystals. <laughs> but you've got beast mode to keep them in check. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they dealt with it at one time, right? Like, <laughs> Like that, that at least, you know, allows us to be able to have that, you know, yin and yang, you know, for, uh, for, for that type of opportunity. All right. So uh, I mentioned this before we went uh, a question from the big old bag of mail that was bubbling around. So I figured I'd bring it up. Holden shout out to you. He left us a five-star review in that review. He put this question. He said, I was watching college basketball this weekend and I noticed that I was watching teams with players who I had familiarity with more often. I think some college athletes are not made to be professional athletes, but they are valuable TV assets in college. My question is, assuming the leadership structure of college athletics moved away 
from the NCAA. What is stopping players from being able to play longer than four years? Keeping certain players around would help TV ratings. So Holden, I just Did he just to, call human beings TV assets? Uh, you are 100%. I love this world we're in. I love it. It's great. So are we, everything's are we YouTube wonderful. Assets? Are we YouTube? Uh, po- portions of us, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not all I bring to the table. But yeah, for a certain number of hours of my life, I am simply a YouTube asset. I... It, I mean, but it sounds like Holden was right there to what you were sort of hitting on. I mean, are you hearing this eligibility, you know, in conversations with people, or is this in the no bad ideas world in terms of the future of college sports? Some of both. Uh, you, you would need the right plaintiff. Okay. It's also a little bit embarrassing to be the guy that's like, hey, I'm not good enough to play in the NFL, so I need to play more, more college. So you probably need somebody who had a pretty good college career who whose skill set is demonst- like demonstrably more suited for college than pro. If you just take some scrub who's really like like who who could lose could I like, actually dude you're you're not really making an, a living on college cuz you're actually not very good. Like you need somebody who had a pretty good college career who can say I'm trying to think like who's a guy right now is Billy Napier still on the hot seat if Tebow's his QB. Right. Like, <laughs> hit up exactly. the comments folks. <laughs> think about it like All right, I, honestly what about Jordan Travis? I haven't heard that he's going to do that. I don't think he would, but I think his skill set is much more suited for college than it is the NFL. I mean, it, you don't think he can make a million bucks a year playing like three, four more years of college until until his legs slow down? Yes. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Michael Penix was a sixth-year player. I mean, we, we like with he, all is that, he even going to get drafted? I, I don't know who Jordan Travis. Like, I think he probably will late, but there's not a guarantee on that. Bo Nix, the same thing. Like, Nick's arm-wise, not real good. Now, he's going to go high enough to where I think he's still going to go pro, but... Do you know... I forget exactly who it was, but somebody said he could be a first-rounder, and I almost fell out of my chair. But, like, I, he's Ooh. catching some steam. I thought it wasn't good at the Senior Bowl, but I think it was, like, second-round worst case, which I was pretty blown away by. The tools don't suck there. I'm, just, I'm trying to think, like, who's the best player to bring this suit? The thing, no, I'm sorry, but the you thing know, with the might QBs, have been Brock Purdy. Yeah, Brock might not be in a Super Bowl this year if this rolls around. He might have stuck around at Iowa State a couple extra years. See, wow, Stetson. Um, I think Stetson, Stetson could, gets displaced. A, a decent one, actually, because the legs are so good, and I don't, I don't know if the arm is amazing. Let's see how he does this year in South Bend. But Riley Leonard. Mm. Mm-hmm. really, really good at college. I don't know how well he projects the NFL. I'm still kind of just TBD on that. I was imagining when I was thinking about this offensive lineman where just being older and smarter, Yeah, that mm-hmm. if you built your offensive line on seventh-year dudes, like they would have some of that grown man advantage against the, a five-star you know, 19 year old, or maybe not every five star 19 year old, like, you know, clowny, other ones that obviously have been different, but that would be, that would be a zig then zag type scenario. If eligibility went away, like there is definitely the quarterback scenario and, and the advantage that we've seen in terms of some of these old quarterbacks as recently as the, this year. But it is so hard to get offensive linemen that if you were able to continue to you pay, uh, these offensive linemen to stay for a sixth or seventh year, build some cohesion and get an old group. I mean, that would be a, 
that would be a phenomenal way to, to set up your offense moving forward. I got the perfect guy for that conversation. Maybe one of the most accomplished resumes in all of college football history as a lineman, Barrett Jones at Alabama. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a fourth round pick, only lasted two years. He's a great dude. He did a little broadcast and now he's in finance, but he could have absolutely, he could have been eight. Now he could still be playing. He would be Alabama. Alabama's center like for yeah, seven still. more years and three more titles. <laughs> right. And it would have hit Jalen Milrow right there. <laughs> <laughs> he would have, he would have was over yeah. a little bit. Yeah, so those those were some of the positions that I guess came to mind. Like maybe not as much on the defensive side of the ball, where as you get older, you know, if you lose any step, you're going to be struggling. But anywhere where that sort of grown man strength and, and sort of mental advantage would be able to help you, I feel like that would be something that could come up if the eligibility was extended. We speaking of grown man strength, life. Chip, you you live in North Carolina. How many times have you seen Cam Newton in person? Didn't I know? Oh, you did. I just saw him. Oh, like at the Super Bowl. Man, what, what goes through your head? For those of us who have seen like Cam's physical presence in person, when you see somebody try to fight Cam Newton. Maybe if we have Brain five damage. of us, we can do it. <laughs> well, they I mean, thought. Those, those TSP guys are, aren't – they're not tiny, but they look tiny compared to Cam. I, <laughs> I remember we were down at IMG back when they were building IMG, and Cam actually like does take a pretty good amount of time with his seven-on team and like actually puts the work in and – would I believe still fly back to attend practices in Atlanta even when he was playing in Charlotte? Um, and he's at he's at most of the tournaments calling the plays and whatnot. But we were in a rain delay, so we were in like a portable trailer there. And I'm I was sitting there, I was like, God, Cam Newton is just huge compared yeah. to like a couple of the other NFL dudes. I'm like, that guy plays D end, like, and and Cam Newton is like much bigger than this. It, it's I don't know, that's that's just not real bright. I, the way he's dressed, you got to figure he's got some sort of gadget that could, you know. <laughs> you know how tough you got to be dressed like that? I It has made the hat more iconic. Yes. You know, like I I, I will say the fact that he took on those four dudes um, and didn't flinch and the hat didn't even get knocked off. <laughs> but the hat I mean, is like locked in with the locks. With the hair, like the red yeah. locks. It is kind of like. But, doesn't matter. You are engaged <laughs> in a one-on-four physical battle, and the hat stayed on. So they, that little outline that he's using for his, uh, you know, for his show, like in the background, like now, now this is even better branding. Incredible marketing. Uh, I got to give a shout out to my guy Darren Gant. He made a great point about this. He said Cam Newton was once hit by a dump truck, broke <laughs> his back, and eleven days later. He ran for a touchdown and threw for a touchdown in a win over the Browns. <laughs> Which, like, well, by the way, the, the Cam car accident broken by our own Jonathan Jones back in the day, he was mm-hmm. like right there on the site, on site first. Right, he had um, a picture right away, like a picture of the truck, right? It was right near the Charlotte Observer offices, and right. he was like right there uh, on the scene. But the. Cam Newton is one of the most unique physical specimens specimen of my lifetime. And you win at him? I could take him. Do we have any details on that? Did anybody do any digging? Because I do think it's messed up. Because wasn't he tried before by like some punk kid like who asked him a question or something? Like because he has given to like yeah, if you're playing against Cam Cam's team Cam's team does talk a lot of smack and they get a lot of smack talk back to them. Right. Mm. But I would say Cam 
generally does not go out of his way to talk at the kids, but he will he will bark back at them if they come at him. I think there's a difference though, because like if you're a kid, you want to catch a touchdown against Cam's team and then you know stunt for the camera and, and get him in the background or whatever, talk smack to him. Like we've we've seen this happen a ton at all these seven on sevens we go to. It is a little different when the other coaches are are doing right like that. And we see that sometimes. And there are pretty good sized fights at seven on. Um I always worry that somebody's going to get disrespected and take it to the next level. But, you know, like uh, there are good fights at these, but it's usually players. It's not generally the adults fighting the adults. We saw that in Texas, didn't we? It was somebody's brother. Somebody famous's brother shot somebody. I think that was a, was it a real game or a seven on? Uh, Might've been a real game, but I mean, to to your point, these things devolve in a hurry. Um, I just think it sucked because Cam, I do think he's done a ton for the seven on seven community. As you mentioned, like flying back and forth just to be there for practice. I'm sure he's putting a lot of money and, and time into that. So I hate seeing that. Yeah. Let's do uh one last uh question left over from the big old bag of mail. Uh Paul writes in the five-star mailbag. Love the pod, best CFB coverage around, not even close. R.I.P. Barton, the slayer bouncer savant. Always remember the time that Barton was a bouncer at a Slayer concert. Uh, Off-season mailbag questions. With the rise in sports gambling in recent years, it's becoming obvious that the betting markets are a major driver of fan interaction. Yet, it isn't readily self-apparent how it will impact the sport as a whole or the specific game being played on the field. Y'all frequently mention how the television contracts of the 90s have driven college football in certain directions. I was wondering if you could put on your best Nostradamus hat and project where sports betting might drive the sport in 20 or 30 years. Go Bearcats, Paul. I've got one answer. It's small. Standardized injury reports. That'll happen way sooner in 20 or 30 years. That'll yeah, that's what I'm years. saying. Like, that's that is the one thing I like. What does the sport look like in 20 to 30 years? Geez, I don't know. But if you want to ask about sports gambling's influence on college football, I believe very, very soon we are going to reach a point of standardized injury reports. It's happening some places already. Uh, I think it will be much more widespread. And in whatever we're talking about, about college football at the highest level, whether it's the Super Two or, some, or something else called something else, I believe that that organization moving into the future will have standardized entry reports. Agree with you I, on that one. I think 20 years from now, we'll have reached critical mass or at least surpassed it, and it won't be anything like it is today. Like, if you look at European sports like soccer, I mean, gambling has been legal there for a long time. And, you know, there a lot of the teams have, you know, like, casinos online casinos as their primary sponsor on their shirts but when you watch a soccer match you're not hit over the head repeatedly with gambling content because it's just part of the norm there and i think now here since it's still relatively new everywhere and some places don't even have legal sports betting yet i think for the next few years we're going to continue to be hammered over the head with it constantly but i think there will be a critical mass and just start to see it kind of the influence and the prevalence of it kind of fade a bit I think um, you will have networks work together more with the odds providers. For instance, 10 years from now, I would expect the CBS broadcast because they have a partnership with FanDuel uh, to late in games, especially in blowout games. They'll ask FanDuel, like, like, hey, what what four player props are still undecided this, at this point, right? And maybe, maybe you sidebar that, right? Or at least it's going to become a talking point in the broadcast. Okay, 
Like we know that the, the four most popular things that got bet by our audience are these four things. Here we go. There's still a pretty good chance for this guy to get this. This one's still in doubt. And they'll, much like they now slip in things over. And this game is over. It, you know, a, a sort of a wink, wink, nod, nod. I think there's less winking and nodding to it. I think it's probably just like, all right. And a lot of people are happy now because the over hit. And also that is a second touchdown to that. And it paid 10,000 to one or whatever because this, this rando tight end scored two touchdowns. Probably that more integrated marketing in the game is where we're going with that. I think it's going to become more obnoxious. I could see this trend of so Ohio is taking player props out of college sports. Monsters. Charlie Baker driving that train. It I will be wired Charlie Baker. <laughs> I'll be interested to see if other states continue to jump on, but there are some states already where they don't allow individual player props for college sports. I will be curious if if that becomes a campaign. Well, that's because they're amateur athletes, but how long is that right, going to last? Mm-hmm. I think we'll see a championship in Vegas in the yeah. next 20 years. Oh, yeah. You know, or playoff games. You know, we're already seeing conference championships there. Oh, we will have the like ESPN's win probability model will get replaced by the live betting odds. Oh. At some point. Like like that. Somebody should we all, jump we all on that now. Which are just already... <laughs> well just don't <laughs> let, let's let's just replace the um the analytics go for it bug with live odds okay let's that's just a let's no longer do the the go or kick we're not gonna no, do i need part. to see the situation for kick i haven't seen one yet it's always go it's like, always it could be, be like fourth and 73 at your own four and it's like the analytics say you gotta go for it here <laughs> Um, Reggie in the tailgate, you know, coaching carousel news today. Well, I'm glad you asked because, well, I have learned my lesson and I am not going to put a bow on anything. We are on Wednesday going to be doing a recap of the assistant coaching carousel. There are still moves being made. I was, uh, we, we've got like, like Alabama has not even officially confirmed half of its staff. We know, thanks to great reporting from people like Matt Zenitz, Pete Thamel, we can put the pieces together, but the school hasn't even officially confirmed all of those yet. But we generally know some of the biggest uh, coaching additions at the assistant level, some of the biggest coaching losses at the assistant level, teams that have upgraded their staffs and ways to grade some of the new hires and their staff. We'll get into all that and more with an assistant coaching carousel recap coming up on Wednesday. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. Follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See ya. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.